Well, it's good to be back with you. I've been out for the last two weeks. Marianne and I had a couple of weeks of vacation, so I appreciate Tim and Will preaching the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's always good to get away, and it's always good to be back. So this morning, we are concluding our series called Spiritual Formation, which has been a series where we look at different spiritual practices, and we're thinking this morning about the spiritual practice of giving, giving, or generosity. And I want to start today with some statistics that I think prove really a pretty sad point. Uh, And here's the point. American Christians have almost completely abandoned the spiritual practice of sacrificial giving. American Christians have almost completely abandoned the spiritual practice of sacrificial giving. The normal church congregation in the United States usually has about 10 to 20 percent of its members that tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. That is, they give 10 percent of their income. Uh, More generally, 80 percent of Americans, just in general, give away 2 percent or less of their income. Christians only give 2.5 percent of their income per capita. By comparison, during the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. So we give less now than Christians gave during the Great Depression. That's bad news. Those are bad statistics. And so I want to ask, what would happen if, let's say, every American evangelical Christian gave 10% of their income to the local church or to other ministries? Um, What would happen if that were the case? I did some research, and there's a lot of research you can find on that online. And the number that I came up with, just looking at different various sources, is that an additional $65 billion, $65 billion would be available for churches to use and distribute. Now, the global impact of that money would be phenomenal. Here's just a few things the church could do with that kind of money. Uh, $25 billion dollars could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places in the world where a billion people live on less than $1 per day. And $1 billion would fully fund every evangelical global missionary on the planet. So if you add all those up, there's still a few billion left over. The, the, cat, the impact would be unbelievable if every Christian just in the United States was willing to give sacrificially of the money that they bring home. Now, this is an area where spiritually formed lives can make a monumental impact in the world, but it's going to take a robust faith in the gospel of Jesus to produce a radically generous life in any one of us. Now, as I mentioned, we're concluding this series on spiritual formation. And remember, the purpose of this series has been for us to think about and implement practices in our lives that will help us thrive in what's increasingly a post-Christian culture. Help us thrive as followers of Jesus ourselves and help us thrive communally as we seek to be on mission. So people who are living spiritually thick lives in the midst of the culture in which God has placed us is the way forward. That's been what we've been thinking about this summer. Thankfully, God has gifted us with the Holy Spirit to produce these fruits and habits in us by his grace and to help us continue to walk in the way of Jesus together. And so we're going to think about giving this morning. And I know this is something you don't like to hear pastors talk about. And uh, 
We've actually never had a single sermon on giving in five years at Christ Church. This is the first one. I have talked about money before, but never giving. And just so you know, pastors don't love talking about this either. So the feeling's mutual. And um, to be honest with you, typically when churches preach on giving, it's because the budget's really doing poorly and we need a little bit of a, an injection financially. That's not the case here. We're in the middle of the summer and we're still ahead budget-wise. Our budget's doing great. This was planned way back in the day that we wanted to talk about giving as a part of this series. Plus, it's just something that we need to talk about because guess what? The Bible talks about giving all the time. The Bible talks about money all the time, and it's unquestionably one of the most important spiritually formative practices that we can have in our lives. So we're going to talk about it. And so here's how I want to summarize. Here's the main idea for you today. Spiritual formation involves giving away money sacrificially because we believe the gospel is true and powerful. Spiritual formation involves giving away money sacrificially because we believe the gospel is true and powerful. I'm going to break that sentence up into three parts, and that will be your outline today. Okay, so here we go. First, spiritual formation involves giving away money. Do you know that? Spiritual formation involves giving away money. That's actually a fairly common teaching in the Bible, Old and New Testaments. And in this passage that Will read for us, We're going to talk more about it in just a second, but initially I just want you to see that Jesus here assumes that the people he's watching in that temple worship gathering are going to give. He doesn't condemn the rich people, by the way, for giving. He just celebrates the gift of the poor widow. Jesus just assumes that a regular part of the life of his people is going to be giving financially. And elsewhere, Jesus tells his people that if you want to follow him, you have to be willing to give up what? Anybody know? Everything. He who will not give up his father and his mother and his sister and his brothers and even his own life cannot be my disciple. And so undoubtedly, that also includes the financial aspect of our lives. So spiritual formation following Jesus in part involves giving away money. And I want to give you two reasons why that's true. Two reasons why it's logical and natural for people who have been changed by the gospel to give. The first reason that followers of Jesus give away money is because we believe that God is the owner of everything. The idea of generosity is grounded in the nature of God and in the nature of the world that God has made. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 24, 1, which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God says in Exodus 19, the whole earth is mine. He says to Job in Job 41, everything under heaven belongs to me. This is a common refrain in the Bible. God made everything that's not God. And so everything belongs to God because everything has its existence because of God. So what does that mean? That means that we are not really the owners of anything. The money that you work hard for, the land that you have, the possessions you have accumulated ultimately are not yours. You're not owners. You're stewards. You're stewards of God's world. God made everything, and so God owns everything. So really, and this is going to be tough for us to get our heads around, it was tough for me, the question we should be asking when it comes to giving is not, how much of my money should I give away? The question is, how much of God's money should I keep? 
And really, God is very generous with us. He gives us his resources, and he allows us to use them primarily for our own needs and our own desires. And that's not bad. That's good. But everything is God's. And if that is true, I hope you can see the logic of giving back to him what he already owns. So one reason followers of Jesus give is because God owns everything already. The second reason that followers of Jesus give away money is because money has incredible power to enslave us. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the way, one way, to break the power of money, to be freed from idolizing money in our lives, is to give it away. To give it away radically and generously. I want you to think about this with me. Where do the anxieties and worries in your life come from? Now, I'm a pastor, so I talk to people about this stuff all the time. And there's three big categories. One, relationships. I love you all, but you cause me a lot of anxiety, right? Two, time. We don't have enough time. And three, money. We don't have enough money, or we don't know what to do with our money. Money causes worries and stress. That's not a radical statement. That's basic to being a person, right? And the reason that that's true is because money is a great tool, but it is a terrible God. And what's even more troubling is that we're all prone, no matter what's in your bank account right now, we're all prone to being enslaved to money and not realizing it. So the, the central thread of the Lord of the Rings is um, the idea of this one powerful ring that, um, that corrupts anyone who tries to use it. The whole plot of the story is based around that idea. However good the intentions of the ring bearer, when he or she wears the ring, it corrupts your intentions. It takes the heart's fondest desires and it magnifies them to these idolatrous proportions. So there's some good characters in the book, like Gandalf, for example, who want to do good. They want to liberate people's lands and seek justice. But if Gandalf were to have the ring, he knows that it would make him willing to do anything to achieve what are really good aims and goals. Anything at all. So the ring turns a good thing into an absolute that overrides all other allegiances and values. And the wearer of the ring becomes increasingly enslaved and addicted to it. So that the ring becomes something its bearer cannot live without, yet at the same time it's devouring him or her from the inside. Now there's a reason that story is so famous. One of the reasons is because that ring and the whole concept is the way our hearts work. That's what money, among other things, has the power to do to us. Our hearts are like the ring. Sin makes us people who have an undying propensity to take good things like money and make them ultimate things, which is a really bad thing. Tim Keller uh, writes this. Listen to what he says. The Bible talks about money 20 or 30 times more than it talks about sex. Why? Because money's spiritual power blinds us to itself. When people are committing adultery, they know they are doing it, but hardly anyone who loves money too much knows that they do. The only way we can be freed from the power of money and be sure we are free is to give money away so much that we lower our living standard. So very basic application here, okay? 
that you can draw this conclusion. You don't need me to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. If you are a Christian, if you claim to believe the gospel, if you trust that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and was raised from the dead and are seeking to follow him, you should be giving money away. That's one of the ways that you demonstrate that you really believe that God is God and that he owns this world and he owns your life. And it's also one of the ways that you fight against the power of idols in your own heart. And let me tell you something, in our culture that's increasingly post-Christian and is undoubtedly materialistic, it's true that you will not be, you will not be spiritually formed into someone who can withstand the age that we live in if you don't give. Really, this is an issue of trust. Jesus says no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. All of our hearts have a throne room within them, metaphorically speaking. And the maximum occupancy of the throne room of your heart is one. There's only one thing or one person that can sit on the throne of your heart. It can't be God and money. It has to be one or the other. And so you need to hear, and I need to hear, that a basic understanding of the gospel should involve a basic practice of giving. Just like if you're a Christian but you don't ever pray, if you're a Christian but you don't ever read your Bible, if you're a Christian but you don't attend a church and worship, if you're a Christian and you don't give, there's something radically, radically, radically out of place. Okay? So, following Jesus and spiritual formation involves giving away money. Second, spiritual formation involves giving money away sacrificially. Sacrificially. And that's where the point of this story that Luke records for us really comes in. You know, this might be the best story in the Bible to illustrate the heart of giving and what uh, it means and what it is intended to, to do in us. Look, just look with me again at the story. This woman is commended by Jesus, this poor widow, even though she gives far, far less than most others. Okay, she gives two small copper coins, which really that amounts to about one-fourth of one penny. That's about what she gives. So her gift is minuscule. Her gift is completely insignificant, right? I mean, it's not going to even begin to move the needle in the church budget. Not even close. But what does Jesus say about her? Verse 3, I tell you this, and he says, truly I tell you, whenever Jesus says, truly I tell you, verily I tell you, you better listen. Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. She gave more than anyone else, Jesus says. Why? Well, he tells us in verse 4. Verse 4, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This woman gave out of her poverty and not out of her abundance. In other words, what this widow gave cost her. And it cost her greatly. Even though it was a fraction of what others gave. In fact, the text literally says she gave all the life she had. And this is really important. And I need to, this was hurting me this week to read and study, okay? And it might hurt you now, but you need to hear it and I need to hear it. The greatness of the contribution is not measured in the size of the gift, okay? The greatness of the contribution is measured in the size of the sacrifice. 
Jesus calls attention to this woman. Jesus celebrates this woman. Jesus uses this widow as an example for literally billions of his people throughout the ages because Jesus cares not so much about the amount of money that you give, but about the amount of sacrifice you're willing to make. Jesus wants our giving to be giving that requires faith in his provision. He wants our giving to be giving that costs us something, just like it did this woman. Giving that is sacrificial, to put it in a word. So again, the Spirit presses on our hearts this question because the Bible reads us more than we read the Bible. And as the Bible's reading us right now, it's asking, God is asking, are you giving sacrificially? Are you giving sacrificially? I've told this story before, but I love it. It's a great illustration. At least I think it is. I hope you think it is in about 30 seconds when I'm done. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a pastor, 20th century Welsh pastor, that tells the story of a farmer. And this farmer one day, happily and with great joy in his heart, came into his home to report to his wife and to report to his family that their best cow, their number one cow, had just given birth to twin calves. One was red and one was white. And the farmer said, you know, I suddenly have this conviction and this feeling. I have this impulse that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. We'll bring them up together and we're going to treat them exactly the same. And when the time comes, we're going to sell one and keep the proceeds as profit. And we're going to sell the other and give the proceeds to the Lord's work. And his wife said, that sounds great. You know, which one are we going to dedicate to the Lord and which one is going to be ours? And the farmer said, there's no need to bother about that right now. Uh, We'll treat them the same way. When the time comes, we'll do as I say. And off the farmer went. A few months later, at the end of the day, the farmer comes back into the house, enters his kitchen. And instead of looking happy, he looks really miserable. And his wife says, honey, what's wrong? And the farmer put his hand on the countertop and looked at his wife and said, honey, I've got bad news. God's cow died. God's cow died. That's funny, but it is funny. I'm glad I got a little bit of a laugh. You guys are tough, but I got a little. That's funny, but it makes the point. In our lives, it's usually God's cow that dies. We sacrifice our generosity before we sacrifice our comforts. We think, we think, I'll give when I have enough to spare. But God says, Jesus says, God will take care of you no matter what, so you can sacrificially give. Now, let me tell you something, again, that's hard but important. If it comes down to the end of the month in your life and there's a limited amount of money left, which there always is, and it's usually God who gets sacrificed and not us, then what does that mean? Here's what that means. It means you trust money more than you trust God. That's what it means. There's one spot on the throne room of your hearts. And if it's always God that's getting sacrificed, he is not sitting there. Money's sitting there. Your comfort is sitting there. Your privilege is sitting there. You're trusting in money and what it brings to meet your needs and not God. If you are always saying, when I make more money, I'll give. When I pay off debt, I'll give. I'd give more, but I can't afford it. What is getting sacrificed? What's getting sacrificed? You, your comforts, or God and his mission? Now, I'm being hard on you, I know. Being hard on me, but I want to make some practical considerations here. I know some of you are thinking, yeah, Luke, I, I'm with you all this. How much? Just tell me, how much do I need to give? 
How much? Before tax, after tax. Tithe or no tithe? What's the deal? What's biblical? (laughs) I know you. I know what you're thinking. Um, Here's the point. Sacrificial giving is going to look differently for different people. Remember, a percentage, say 10%, is not the point. The sacrifice is the point. So for some of you, to give 10% would be irresponsible. For some of you, some. Because you might be struggling to keep your family having food on the table and to pay all the bills. Maybe you've had financial catastrophe in your life recently, and for you to give 2 to 3% is really sacrificial. That's great. Now, I'm not saying if you have made stupid decisions with your money and you spend way, way more than you make, you're not living on the edge. You're just being an idiot and you need to stop. You need to get your financial life under control. That's not what I mean. I mean, if your resources are very limited and your needs are very great, perhaps sacrificial giving for you is going to be who knows what percentage. Some of you might be in that situation. You need to figure that out on your own and speak to God about that and seek his face. For many, many others of us, for giving really to be sacrificial, it might take way more than 10%. It might take way more than 10% or a little more than 10% if we're actually going to give up something, if it's going to actually make a dent in the way we live. Like Keller said, if it's actually going to some degree lower your standard of living. Oh my gosh. That's what Jesus, this woman gave. What do you think her standard of living was? She sacrificed. Okay. So how much should you give? Well, that depends. But the point is not you have to give 10%. That's not the point. The point is, is your heart in the place where you're willing to trust God and give sacrificially? That's one question. Second question, who should you give to? Who should you give to? Okay, so first, your priority should be to the local church. And why is that? Here's why. The reason is because giving is an act of worship. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, you see Luke summarize the work of the church. And one of the things Luke says is that they sang and they prayed and they had communion and they listened to God's word. And they gave. They had everything in common. They sacrificially gave up what was theirs for the good of other people. So one reason is because giving is an act of worship and you worship in churches. And another reason is because the church is the main mission of God in the world. And it's the main way that God fulfills the Great Commission is through the church. So our money should primarily go to the local church. Now, on top of church giving... It's wonderful and great to give to other causes and organizations as the Spirit leads you. Marianne and I, just as a personal example, have given to World Vision for many, many years now on top of our giving to the church because we love World Vision and we believe in their mission. We don't give much, but we give a little bit, and over time, that makes a difference in the life of one person. A couple other things here. You need to know that this way of thinking and this way of living is radically countercultural. And it's radically missional. Think about this with me. Um, In our world, rich people are expected to give. Just this week, LeBron James, who is the second best basketball player of all time. I will not hear that debated. The second best basketball player of all time. Uh, News came out about LeBron starting this school in his hometown of Akron, Ohio. And it really is remarkable. I mean... All tuition is paid. All books are paid. The first year college is paid. 
it's, it's, it's really an amazing thing. And I read that news, and I just scrolled right through it. I thought, LeBron's worth $500 million. That's, that's great. Every athlete has a school. Are you kidding me? It's normal. It's just expected. What's radically unexpected is for normal, everyday, middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, dare I say poor people, to give radically and sacrificially. That kind of generosity is generosity that the world notices. That shows that Jesus actually makes a difference in our lives and in the world. And then last thing on this sacrificial giving point, giving is something that forms you spiritually. It's going to help you be able to turn off the idolatry that seems to captivate our hearts. But it's also a way that we can radically benefit and help others in truly profound ways. Listen, money talks. Money matters. Money is an important tool. And when you give money away, you really can have a major impact in people's lives. I've been the beneficiary of that personally. When I was a senior in high school, my parents wanted to send me to Baylor uh, because my parents both went to Baylor. My grandparents went to Baylor, and I had to go to Baylor if I was a Christian, apparently. So, so Baylor was where I needed to go, but Baylor is really expensive now. It was expensive then, and my parents had done a good job. They had saved the best they could for college, but there just wasn't enough money, and I was going to have to go to a junior college, which is fine for the first year or two, and then hopefully transfer to Baylor if I didn't flunk out of JUCO, which was also possible. And um, someone anonymously, through our local church, wrote a letter to my family and said, if Luke gets into Baylor, I will fund his entire first year. And to this day, I have no idea who that was. I've tried to find out, uh, but people are sworn to secrecy. I mean, it's like, well, never mind. Um, Someone funded my first year of college completely anonymously just because they had excess. And you know what? That, that completely changed the trajectory of my life. I mean, God would have been with me, no doubt, at Amarillo College. Oof. But I got, to, I got to go to Baylor freshman year and did great. And it made a huge difference. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. And God has blessed some of you with the means to do that. And that is an unbelievable gift. That's why one of the spiritual gifts that the scriptures list is generosity. Gener Some of you, I know, are gifted in generosity. And that gift is no more or less important than any other spiritual gift. But I tell you what, that's a gift that God can use in radical and amazing ways. Sacrificial giving changes you. It shows the world that Jesus is really the king. And it actually really, really helps other people. Like in really practical, profound ways. So spiritual formation involves giving money away sacrificially. Third, it involves giving money away sacrificially because we believe the gospel. Because we believe the gospel is true, really. And it's powerful, really. You know, we have to always tie all of our spiritual formation in, which we've tried to do in this series, all of these formative practices with the power and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. Here's a way to think about it. Motives matter a lot especially when it comes to giving. I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes tithed. They gave 10%, but they did it out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of drudgery. In fact, Jesus, earlier in Luke, condemns them for that. Look, listen to what he says, Luke 11. Woe to you, Pharisees. You tithe mint and rue and every herb, every little thing in your life you tithe, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These things you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the motive shouldn't be just a sense of drudgery. God commands me to do it, so I better do it. Because your heart is far away from God, even though your actions might be 
looking good. Another motive that some of us use is because giving makes us feel good. And I actually, I love to give. It, I, I really do. I'm not trying to like be arrogant. It does make you feel good to help someone. But that can't be your ultimate motive. Because that motive is not sustaining. It's just not powerful enough to live a sustainably changed and transformed life if your motive for giving is because you have warm and fuzzy feelings on the inside. The only real motive that is powerful enough and that will sustain you for sacrificial giving is the fact that God loves you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give money sacrificially because Jesus Christ gave everything up for us. We sacrifice for others by giving money and doing other things because Jesus died on a cross. He gave up his life when he lived in heaven in eternal blessed perfection with God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus gave that up. He laid aside, Philippians 2 said, the prerogatives of his godhood and made himself a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. Jesus Christ gave us everything, even his life. Jesus has sacrificed for us. And if you see and believe and rejoice in what God has given you freely at his own expense in Jesus Christ, that really does change your life. That's why this church exists, because we believe the gospel changes everything. When you see how undeserving you are of God's love in Jesus, when you know that you've rejected and turned from the living God, who made you and loves you. When your sin wants God out of your life, when your sin wishes God was dead, and you see that Jesus came into your world and gave, gave up his very life to save you and rescue you and redeem you, the sweetness of that story and the power of that truth transforms our desires and habits regarding all kinds of things, including money. Radical generosity is a profound and undeniable evidence of the power of the gospel. What could make people intentionally lower their standard of living because they gave so much money away? People think that's insane. What could make people willingly sacrifice their own welfare and interests for the interests of others? Only the power of the gospel can do that. Only when you see that that's exactly what Jesus has done for every single one of us. God sacrificed his own welfare and his own interests for us in Jesus. God gave Jesus. God gave everything. So we can rejoice in that. We can rest in that. We can take heart in that. We can believe that. And in response, we can orient our lives around him, including the way we think about money and give it away for God's glory. That's what Paul's getting at in another part of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 9. As we wrap up, let me read this for you. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, he's asking these Christians to give for the benefit of the poor in Jerusalem. And he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, in other words, God's going to take care of you. He's going to provide. You may abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which will produce thanksgiving to God. So seeing the generosity of God makes us generous. We have a generous church right now. I want to commend you for that. I want to commend you for that. And there's much, much more capacity we have in our individual lives and together for radical generosity, not to make our church fat and happy, but to give it away 
for the sake of the gospel. Seeing God's sacrifice compels us to sacrifice. One story, then we're done. So when we were in Bolivia, the Bolivia team was there about a month ago. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit to you about that. Um, we were in a desperately poor area. I mean, really, really poor people. And uh, these people, people spent the week taking off work for no pay to go out and do mission with us and cooking us food. And just everywhere you looked, ask anyone who was on the trip, everywhere you looked, you saw evidence of radical generosity, radical generosity that moved us to tears. And the last night, we were kind of celebrating what God had done. Thursday night, we have a worship service, and they had all the Americans come up front. And these Bolivians, they're, they're dirt poor, okay? They're dirt poor. They just come up bearing gifts, like all sorts of like handmade stuff. And um, I mean, I was like getting inundated with stuff. I had st- more stuff around my neck, like more clothes and hats and stuff around. I, I was like this. I was hunched over even more than normal. I mean, I was just... And you know what it made, at least me and I know all of us, you know what we wanted to do? I was like looking for anything I could to give away to them. I was like, uh, here's a notebook. Here's my watch. Here's a hat. Here, uh, here's my, I would have taken the shirt off my back. It was, that would have been awkward. I didn't do that. But I was wanting to take the shirt off my back and give it to these people. Because when you see radical sacrifice and radical generosity, it makes you want to be radically generous and to make radical sacrifice. And of course, the great example of that is the gospel itself. Do you believe the gospel? Do we believe the gospel together? If so, spiritual formation is over time, slowly but surely, going to be taking place in our lives as the Holy Spirit is with us. Scripture, prayer, hospitality, serving, giving. We're moving into an age that is increasingly hostile to what we profess to be true. We will not survive except for God's grace in us by his spirit, forming us to be the people who are willing to really make God God and give up everything for him. I want that to be more true in my life. I want it to be more true in your life. May God be with us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. Thank you that you gave us Jesus. And Lord, because that's true, really, we're going to be okay. Like we really are. In every way, you're going to take care of us. You really are going to meet our needs. Nothing is going to snatch us out of your hands. We're going to be fine. Yes, there's suffering in this life. Yes, there's loss. But even in times of hunger and plenty, in times of want, in times of desperation, you're there. You've always been there for your people, and you'll be there for us. And Lord, help us to believe that. We believe that intellectually, but so often in our lives that's hard to translate because we like our possessions, and we like money, and we like the things that we have. So God, help us to see that they're yours. Will you, by the Spirit, make us radically generous, not out of a sense of legalism, not because we think this makes you happier with us, but because you are infinitely happy with us already in Christ, because you have given us everything we need and more in Christ. And because that's true, God, we we want to experience the power of change through the gospel. So God, may we be a church that gives money away for the good of others. May we be a people that give money away for the good of others. And where we fail in that area, we pray for you to forgive us and help us to change by your grace. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the rest of